I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Happy Friday, True Crime Addicts. This is True Crime This Week with James Renner, broadcasting from sunny Akron, Ohio. I got good news. We survived another week. It's October 15, 2021, and these are the top true crime stories in the world. Uh, it, still at the top is this uh, Gabby Petito uh, mystery. Uh, Gabby Petito, as you probably know by now, was a uh, 22-year-old young woman who was on a cross-country trip with her boyfriend, Brian Laundrie. Uh, they were part of this van life subculture. Uh, those are the people that kind of live out of their vans. Well, they don't, don't kind of. They actually do live out of their vans, and they make it a, kind of a nomadic life and uh, tour around the country, seeing the sights of America, of Americana. Um, and this is kind of catching on. In fact, my old man, my, my dad... Uh, is is into that subculture and is currently taking apart an old school bus and turning it into a pirate ship, uh, or it'll look like a pirate ship. It's still on wheels, but he plans to tour uh, the Southwest and <laughs> drive this pirate ship and pan for gold out there. So it's a whole it's a whole big subculture. Uh, anyways, uh, Gabby uh, disappeared, and then Brian brought the van back home to Florida without her. And everybody was like, hey, uh, where's Gabby? And he's like, Gabby, Gabby who? Uh, and of course, then uh, Gabby's remains were found September 19th at the Bridger Teton National Forest in Wyoming. Um, in fact, just this week, the Teton County coroner, Dr. Brent Blue, released the cause of death. That's the news this week. And he ruled it strangulation. And uh, this is, in fact, a homicide like we all suspected. Um, Brian Laundrie remains uh, innocent until proven guilty in a court of law, of course. Um, but uh, it is very suspect. Um, in fact, uh, 
uh, ongoing is this largest manhunt in recent history where everybody's out looking for Brian Laundry. He he disappeared. His parents are like, I, I don't know where he is. He said he was going out to the swamp. Um, so I don't know that I would have necessarily let him go out into the night. Anyways, uh, a, a team of true crime Avengers is out there looking for him right now. This is including John Walsh, uh, former host of American uh, America's Most Wanted, and Dog the Bounty Hunter. Uh, are searching for him. It's like that part of an Empire Strikes Back where they, they're they getting the best of the bounty hunters to go after Solo. Um, some claim Laundry is, is already dead, uh, maybe eaten by alligators out in the swamp. Um, but this case is really starting to remind me of of Eric Rudolph. Um, and those of you that, that may not remember this, Eric Rudolph was this like pro-life nut uh, who bombed Centennial Olympic Park back in 1996. Um, that was the explosion that was originally blamed on Robert Jewell, um, who was actually innocent of that. But it turns out it was this guy, Eric Rudolph. And uh, he disappeared uh, after the FBI started looking into him. And he hid out in the Appalachian uh, wilderness, not far from where Brian Laundry could be, um, until he got caught dumpster diving behind a Save-A-Lot store in 2003. So he, he managed to live out in the wilderness like eating salamanders and, and grubs and berries and raiding trash cans uh, for five years. Uh, there was this crazy story on TikTok uh, involving Brian Laundry this week and this idea that he might be hiding out in an underground bunker beneath his parents' garden. And, you know, these TikTokers showed a slowdown video and, and pictures of, uh, of this disturbance in the garden plot behind the laundry's house and uh, uh, said it looked like a hand coming out of the ground, kind of like that scene from the end of Carrie. Spoiler alert. Um, I, I, don't, uh, I don't know that there'd be much truth to that. It would be very surprising uh, if that were in fact true. It seems like um, one of those uh, things that gets a little carried away on social media. Um, so he's still out there. Uh, and the the search continues. A reporter uh, named Rana Natur got a big scoop this week over at Vice. This is Vice News, the website. Um, she got the first interview with uh, Noor Salman, uh, which is she was the wife of the Pulse nightclub shooter. Now, um, I, I at first when I heard the the Pulse nightclub thing, I I couldn't even remember this event. That's you know it seems like there's been so many um, mass shootings and and school shootings since then that uh, I actually had this mixed up as, as the Las Vegas shooter but this was this was a big deal um, this happened on June 11 2016 Pulse was this nightclub in Orlando Florida and they were hosting a Latin night Latino night um, it was a gay nightclub in Orlando Florida. Around 2 a.m., this 29-year-old, his name was Omar Mateen, stopped by. He had a Sig Sauer semi-automatic rifle and a Glock, and he just he started shooting people inside. He killed 49 people and wounded 53 more. It was a rampage. One woman actually hid under a pile of bodies to stay safe from this guy, um, and yeah, I'd forgotten all about these details. Um, you know, when I was younger, the the big the big shooter. This was before Columbine. Um, everybody always talked about Charles Whitman, 
uh, as as this iconic um, you know mass mass murderer. This is a this is a, a young man who um, used a hunting rifle to to snipe people from Texas Tower, which was on the University of Texas campus back in 1966, and he was infamous for this for many many years. But he only killed 15 people. You've got Omar Mateen. He killed 49 people, and we've already kind of forgotten about this guy. Um, so anyways, Mateen was killed in a shootout later that night with, with police. Um, Mateen was a wannabe cop. Couldn't get into the police academy, which if you've ever seen those movies, it seems very easy to get into. Uh, his, his wife, Noor uh, Salman, she was arrested in January 2017, a few months after this incident, in Rodeo, California, and she was charged with aiding and abetting um, by uh, the FBI. Uh, she was accused of, of knowing Mateen was planning the attack, and she, she faced life in prison. In fact, she spent a year in prison as she awaited trial. Luckily, the jury acquitted Salmon of uh, both charges uh, later that March. Um, and she's been free ever since. Ever since, but she's she's kind of been on the down low. Uh, according to this article in Vice, she uh, still lives in the Rodea area, but she wears color contact lenses and dark lipstick and and extensions to kind of hide her identity, so she's not recognized in public anymore. Uh, she spoke up finally because she felt remaining quiet was maybe seen as tacit admission of guilt. Um, and according to, to, to Vice News, she said, I just didn't talk because I didn't have the strength, she told them. She says she met Mateen online uh, in 2011 in this Arab Lounge website. And he was very sweet until she got pregnant. And then there was this like switch that, that flipped and he became violent. He kicked her. He punched her. He raped her several times, she says, and threatened to kill her if, if she ever left. Um, so... It's weird to me that she was eventually charged with this because um, if anybody knew what uh, Mateen was up to, it was the FBI themselves who had him on a terrorist watch list at the time of this mass shooting. Um, but instead, they went after his his battered wife. Um, it doesn't seem like any gun laws were changed directly as a result of that case. Um, it was, after all, in Florida. A very interesting case of espionage uh, was revealed this week, too. Uh, I like these spy cases. Um, I'm a big fan of the, uh, the, the show The Americans, uh, and this seems like something right out of The Americans. Uh, this happened last Sunday. A young couple from Annapolis were arrested while allegedly participating in a bit of spy ca- spycraft uh, right here in the United States. It's like something out of the Cold War. Um, <clears throat> here's what the Justice Department says on their website, and uh, there's links at, in the, the information for this podcast if you want to track down the, the sources here. Um, Justice Department says that on April 1st, 2020, that would be April Fool's, Jonathan Tobe sent a package to a foreign government listing a return address in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Now, Jonathan worked as a nuclear engineer um, for the Navy, I believe. Uh, You know, you look at pictures of of him and his wife, who's also rolled up in this. Her name's Diana. And they look like the the typical suburbanite uh, parents that you'd see at like a soccer game. 
um, or, you know, at, uh, as Cub Scout leaders or something. Anyways, uh, sent a package to a foreign government containing a sample of restricted data and instructions for establishing a covert relationship to purchase additional restricted data. This is about um, the data he was sending was about the propulsion techniques of, of nuclear submarines, type of thing that you don't want other countries to know you know, what you're doing. Uh, the affidavit also alleges that thereafter, Tobe began corresponding via encrypted email with an individual whom he believed to be a representative of the foreign government. The individual was really an undercover FBI agent, as they always are. Jonathan Tobe continued this correspondence for several months, which led to an agreement to sell restricted data in exchange for thousands of dollars in cryptocurrency. Uh, I wonder if he was asking for Ethereum or... Uh, uh, or if it was like, is it always Bitcoin? On June 8, 2021, the undercover agent sent $10,000 in cryptocurrency to Jonathan as a good faith payment. Shortly afterwards, on June 26th this year, Jonathan and his wife Diana traveled to a location in West Virginia. There, with Diane Tobe acting as a lookout, Jonathan Tobe placed an, uh, an SD card concealed within half a peanut butter sandwich at a prearranged dead drop location. After retrieving the SD card, the undercover agent sent Jonathan Tobe a $20,000 cryptocurrency payment. In return, Jonathan Tobe emailed the undercover agent a decrypted key for the SD card. A review of the SD card. So much thought and time went into this. Like, if he, if he had put that mind to, like, legitimate business, this guy would have, would have made this money uh, a lot easier. Um, Jonathan on, okay, so this brings us to August 28th. Jonathan Tobe made another dead drop of an SD card in Eastern Virginia, this time concealing the card in a chewing gum package. After making a payment to Tobe of $70,000 in cryptocurrency, the FBI received a decryption key for the card. Um, the FBI arrested Jonathan Diana on October 9th after he placed yet another SD card at a prearranged dead drop at another location in West Virginia. Um, Diana Tobe, his wife, taught history in English. Um, now, th there's still a lot of questions. Uh, who was this? Who, who, what foreign government were they working with? It doesn't appear to be like the, the big ones, like Russia or, or China. In fact, it appears that they were working probably with an ally to our country, because this other foreign government appears to have cooperated with the FBI in entrap uh, I shouldn't say entrapment because they have them pretty good, but in uh, luring them to the uh, to the sites and communicating with them. So some people have suggested France, but France denies it. Um, the The big question here is motive. The, these these are two really intelligent people with decent jobs, don't seem to have financial trouble. The only hint of a motive is that uh, they became um, disappointed in the government after, uh, after Trump was elected several years ago. Although, you know, that changed earlier this year and they continued. So uh, we don't know what their motive was yet. Um, the other interesting thing is they were using proton mail to communicate with uh, the FBI. And if you're not aware of, of what proton mail is, it's this like... Um, encrypted email service that you can use to to email people if you don't want them to know who you are or, or where you're communicating with or you know 
um, if you if you like security that way. I believe the servers are based out of I don't know Switzerland or or, or somewhere over there, um, and <laughs> are very hard to get to. Uh, I've been dealing with Proton Mail myself as um, somebody claiming to be Moore Murray has been emailing me from a Proton Mail account. Uh, Moore Murray, of course, was the subject of my book, uh, True Crime Addict, which came out in 2016. A young uh, woman from Massachusetts who disappeared under strange circumstances in the White Mountains of New Hampshire in 2004. You can read a ton of that online if, if you don't know about that case yet. But yeah, somebody's been using a Proton Mail account pretending to be Mora and, and telling her story to me. Um, the police have become involved in that and are, are currently trying to figure out where these emails are coming from. Um, and that's been going on for about a month or so. Um, so, hey, um, we're going to take a real quick break. I'll be back in two and two, as they used to say, after these uh, words from our sponsor. Hey, welcome back. Um, so let's jump over, get some updates from uh, some of our coldest cases, updates from this past week. Police searching for missing woman Lauren Cho in Southern California this week discovered human remains that many suspect could, in fact, be Cho herself. Now, um, Lauren Cho was 30 years old when she disappeared on June 28th earlier this year. She was staying with her friends and an ex-boyfriend at a resort 30 miles north of Palm Springs. Um, Palm Springs, California reports Claire Colbert for CNN. When interviewed, Cho's friends said she was upset and walked away from the resort, leaving behind her personal belongings. Um, that's that part you never want to hear. Like when, when somebody heads out and leaves behind their personal belongings, no good can come of that. Um, now the, the coroner out there says it's going to take weeks, uh, if not longer, for them to identify the remains and uh, determined cause of death. Now, Lauren Cho's case was was used. Uh, you might have heard her name in the last couple weeks uh, in reference to the Gabby Petito case, um, wrapped up in this idea of this white woman syndrome, this missing white woman syndrome that the news likes to to jump on. Um, uh, you know, Gabby being, of course, white. Uh, Lauren Cho being Asian American. Which which one did you hear about more? Uh, on the surface, that, that sounds like it's true, but I, I personally don't think it has anything to do with uh, any sort of so-called white, missing white woman syndrome. Petito's case was so popular because she, she had all this ready-made media for them to use. And um, if there's anything that, that I've learned as a journalist and as a reporter is we are very lazy by nature. Um, and if somebody else wants to do the work for us, that's, that's wonderful. Um, so, you know, <laughs> all these reporters had all this video stuff that, that Petito had taken and the, the van life thing and the Instagram and, uh, they used all that. Um, you know, Cho, uh, was, was not heavily into YouTube as far as I know. Um, and there's some circumstances surrounding her walking out of that resort that, that hint to um, maybe some trouble that was going on. So we certainly don't know what happened yet or if we're dealing with a homicide or what. Um, speaking of finding remains, uh, they are still trying to determine whose remains were found at Loon Mountain Ski Resort up in New Hampshire at the end of August. And now we're into the middle of October, and they still have yet to identify them um, 
the family of Maura Murray is still waiting to to hear if these remains are in fact Mora or if this is this is somebody else. Uh, the remains that were found up in Loon Mountain at the end of August um, appear to have been buried. Um, there were hair there was hair still on the the remains, which suggests it couldn't have been in the ground longer than about twenty years, which matches up. And Loon Mountain is further down Route One Twelve, which is the the road where more vanished on. So we are still awaiting word on uh, the identity of the remains up in New Hampshire. Uh, finally, there is an update, um, or lack of update, I should say, in the case of Zodiac. Uh, Fox News got everybody excited, uh, claiming that Zodiac had been solved, um, which is kind of the big unsolved case of, of the 20th century. They even named uh, Gary Post, or Post, who died in 2018. He had been noted in uh, Zodiac lore for quite a while. Um, and of course, you know, they were able to name Gary uh, and kind of point the finger at him um, because it was a safe move uh, in the United States. In the United States, you can't defame the dead. So it's not like Gary can sue them for defamation if they're wrong. Um, but it wasn't police that were working on the Zodiac case that came to the conclusion it was Gary Post. Uh, as many assumed, we assume when they made this announcement, oh, it must be the detectives, and it's all wrapped up. But no, 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 no. It was a group of armchair detectives called the Case Breakers, themselves made up of some former law enforcement, uh, others, you know, who knows. Uh, and evidence that they had was entirely circumstantial. Um, they were actually comparing wrinkles on a composite sketch to the forehead of, of Gary Post. And, you know, if you know anything about police artist sketches and it's an art form and, and very unreliable. And, you know, the, the, the wrinkles may or may not have been there to begin with. So why you're using them as conclusive evidence, if you don't even know, that it's, it's weird. So all that, it got a lot of attention uh, on social media. And it prompted the FBI to respond this week uh, in uh, the USA Today. They responded to the USA Today. And they said Zodiac remains open and unsolved. So uh, your favorite suspect is still uh, a possibility. Um, Zodiac was uh, active in the San Francisco Bay Area between December 1968 and October 1969. He's got five known victims, although he claims to have killed 37. Um, some of those were couples, and uh, the men survived, so it seems like there was extra anger towards the women there. Uh, and he sent what made him famous was he sent cryptograms to police and to newspapers, uh, ciphers that uh, you had to kind of unscramble to figure out what he wanted to say. And um, the last Zodiac letter was solved just, just last December, December of 2020. So no Zodiac is, is not solved. It's still not solved. Um, here's, here's some news in the world of genetic genealogy. Um, personally, I'm, I'm very interested in genetic genealogy. It's a game changer. Uh, it's the first new investigative tool that police have had since essentially the, the discovery of how to use DNA in, in criminal cases back in 1987. Um, it's a new way of finding bad guys. So there was some good news and bad news in the world of genetic genealogy this week. Um, I should say, too, that, uh, you know... Beyond my interest uh, academically about 
genetic genealogy. I've also started a nonprofit, which I'm sure you heard during the break, called the Porchlight Project, where uh, we raise money for new DNA testing and genetic genealogy for cold cases here in Ohio. Um, and our work led to the arrest of uh, James Zastonic for the murder of Barb Blatnick back in 1987. He was arrested just in May of 2020. Um, more on that in a little bit. Um, so, uh, okay, just this past Tuesday, Pennsylvania police arrested Scott R. Williams for a 26-year-old cold case rape thanks to genetic genealogy, says uh, WJAC-TV, the uh, affiliate station out in Pennsylvania. Um, this involved the, uh, the rape and assault of a Penn State student in May of 1995. She was walking home alone. She dragged into the bushes and assaulted. Nobody knew who had done it. Um, the statute of limitations for rape in Pennsylvania at that time was five years. Five years. Um, usually it's about 20 in most states. Some states have opted to get rid of that altogether. Um, now, the reason uh, Scott Williams can be prosecuted right now is thanks to a guy named Ray Grecar, So, which you might remember that name as well. Ray Grecar was the prosecutor out in uh, that neck of the woods around Penn State back in 2000. And uh, uh, he managed to uh, serve, or well, they charged the DNA profile of this woman's attacker. So they put the DNA, they got the, the <clears throat> data out, which is, you know, as good as a genetic fingerprint. And they basically said, who, whoever, whosever DNA data this is, we're charging him. So they charged the data. And that kind of froze the statute of limitations to when they would be able to identify this guy. Um, Ray Grecar, of course, uh, disappeared under mysterious circumstances, I think back in 2005. Uh, very fascinating case if you want to jump into a rabbit hole. May or may not be connected to the Jerry Sandusky Penn State scandal. Um, <clears throat> so anyways, there was a new profile run by uh, private labs. The police sent that DNA back to private labs. They, they, they ran their, their magic, did their magic, and uh, genetic genealogists tracked the suspect down to to a woman they suspected was the suspect's mother and she verified that she had two sons one was out of state one was still in pa so the detective started staking out this the son who was still living in pennsylvania they went to a high school football game and uh or i'm sorry a banquet a ban you know one of those school banquets that they have for for athletics and uh they they sat near this guy and his son who was in the on the football team and they tried to get this guy's utensils to get a dna swap but he he was smart enough not to use the the utensils there i don't know if he suspected something or what but uh instead they got the utensils for his son they went and the lab came back and they're like yeah uh this matches too this must be the son of of the person who rape this woman. So finally, they go back to this guy's house. They pull his trash. They get some DNA samples from like chewing tobacco tins and, uh, and it matched. This is the guy they were looking for. So uh, that is the magic of genetic genealogy. Now here's the bad news. So Maryland has become one of the first states to pass a law restricting the use of genetic genealogy. And it just went into effect the, uh, in October this month. Um, now, 
it, it, it says that genetic genealogy in the state of Maryland can only be used in cases of rape and murder and national security. Um, and up to this point, genetic genealogy is so new, it's, it's completely unregulated. It's the Wild West out there. And everybody's kind of been operating under a gentleman's agreement that we would only use this technology in the cases of rape and murder. And I can see national security if it's like if you're dealing with terrorists and things like that, maybe. But it's a slippery slope, right? We don't want people to be able to use 23andMe and Family Tree and, and GEDmatch in order to like, you know, think think about like small crimes. Like, uh, you know, you, you drop a I'm, – I'm thinking back in the days where marijuana was illegal in Ohio. You drop a joint and they can pick up that DNA and, and run you through the system and suddenly you got a charge – for a silly misdemeanor like that. Um, you know, so we don't want the police to use that every single time. They're, they just need to find somebody. Uh, it's it, it deals with, you know, privacy. These are This is our genetic data. Is it a, a Fourth Amendment concern? These are laws being written right now. Uh, Maryland's one of the first. It, it also requires written consent of third party, um, from a third party for collecting uh, comparison DNA. And, and that means that um, they're getting, you know, just like they did here, they're getting close to their suspect and maybe they want DNA from, they can't get to the suspect, but they can get to his mother. And comparing the mother's DNA will tell them if it is in fact that suspect. Well, the, the law in Maryland, you can't do that without her permission anymore. Um, very little covert funny business is allowed. Um, so it, it definitely restricts it. It makes it very difficult. In fact, I'm trying to help on a case in, in Maryland right now, and this has already come up as, um, as a hurdle. All right, jumping over to if, if you follow true crime, you're going to want to check out the Unresolved Mysteries subreddit over on, uh, over on Reddit. Um, it has some, you know, it, it's all about cold cases. I think the case has to be 20 years old or older to be featured on there. And it, it's it's refreshed every day. People are constantly posting. There's, I think, like a million people that have signed up for it. So it's a really cool place to find out about cases you haven't heard of before. And some of them are very weird and, and not necessarily murders. For instance, um, Redditor B1 Baker posted this week about the mystery of um, Mr. Poop. Uh, who is Mr. Poop? Uh, this is the question. Mr. Poop was Japan's most famous serial pooper. Uh, a man, he was a man in his 30s, and he was spotted defecating outside a restaurant and, uh, and also an office building and on the base of a utility pole. And police in Japan were searching. There was like a big manhunt and his pictures everywhere. Nobody was able to find him, and eventually he kind of, he kind of stopped. But, you know, they're still searching to this day. Uh, what, what fascinated me about this was... Uh, later on in B1 Baker's post, there's actually a link to a listserv article um, that reveals an epidemic of serial poopers terrorizing the United States. Um, there is one in East Granbury, Connecticut. Uh, a woman there just a couple years ago uh, was driving into this like cul-de-sac in this this tony little neighborhood, uh, and she was peppering, uh, as they say, Kirkstone Drive uh, with 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 poop. And she'd, she'd pull into this cul-de-sac, drop trowel, do her business, climb back in, and, and, and go to work. Eventually, the police caught up to her. She said oh, she just couldn't hold it long enough to get to work. Um, 
they they were very suspicious of of that and, and charged her anyways. Also, police in Natick, Massachusetts, uh, they staked out a parking lot of a store there because somebody was using it as an outdoor toilet, um, which is bizarre because I think most of Massachusetts uh, serves as an outdoor toilet. Um, so <laughs> they 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 staked this out until oh, they caught this woman that was coming there every morning and, and pooping in the parking lot. And, and they're like, hey, what are you doing? And she's like, she used the same excuse. You know, I just, I, you know, when you got to go, you got to go. I, I didn't have enough time to drive to a toilet, but uh, that can't be true because they found out she worked as a nanny in a house that was like right around the corner. And then right here in Akron, um, we were subjected to somebody be, who's become known as the bowel movement bandit who left dookies on cars around the city between 2012 and 2015. I can tell you this, um, knowing the, the local reporters in town, the police have a very good suspect uh, for this. And when they went to question him in 2015, he committed suicide. You know, I, uh, in, instead of facing the shame of an arrest, which is very tragic. Um, and, of course, you have the New Jersey superintendent uh, who was pooping on a football field of a rival school. And, and then, finally, the mad pooper of Colorado Springs, this was a thin woman jogger who was caught on camera uh, um, taking, uh, you know, doing her business, making, pushing on this uh, on this nice couple's lawn every morning as she, she made her jog. And I'm not making this up. Charmin Toilet Paper actually offered a reward if she would turn herself in. So far, she remains at large. Uh, checking the charts, this is uh, the, these are the top... Apple true crime podcasts, according to Chartable. Um, Over My Dead Body is at the top right now, reigning supreme. Uh, also in the top 10 are usual suspects like Crime Junkie by Ashley Flowers, a friend of the show, a friend of Porchlight, um, Dateline, and of course my favorite, Murder. Uh, big fan of Georgia's over there. Um, there are also two podcasts that kind of jumped into the top 10 this week that are making lots of lots of waves. Uh, first is the Murdaugh murders. Now, this is about the, if you haven't followed this, this, this story just gets crazier and crazier. Uh, it starts with this attorney in South Carolina, Alex Murdaugh. He's a person of interest in the double murder of his wife and 22-year-old son, which occurred on June 7th at their home. Um now he's if you've seen his picture you you recognize him immediately he's every single picture of this guy alex his eyes it looks like he's wondering like <laughs> like mid flash like all of a sudden he's like oh my god did i leave the 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 oven on at home uh, or 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 something he's got just this startled look in his eyes uh anyways journalist mandy matney and producer david moses are behind this series the murdaugh murders um, and the story plays out like a, like a season of Fargo. It's very, very twisty. Um, Alex himself is admitted to being addicted to opioids. Um, he's admitted to being part of a suicide for hire plot. He, he apparently allegedly hired a, uh, an ex-client to shoot him in the head and kill him so his son, his remaining son, could get his life insurance payment. And, and there's just all sorts of ancillary dead people piling up around this guy. Um, just today, or I'm sorry, yesterday, 
Uh, he was taken into custody for misappropriating funds in the 2018 death of his family housekeeper. Um, this woman had died at his house after a trip and fall accident. So that's that's super sus too. Um, finally, uh, you know, Murder and Alliance also jumped the charts, and this is, I guess, what I'd call my my podcast recommendation for the week um, because the finale just came out. So uh, if you haven't begun it start at the beginning and work your way through oh my god um uh, first of all okay so here's the write-up on murder and alliance for those that don't know on april fool's day 1999 26 year old yvonne lane was found murdered in her ohio home david thorne her ex-boyfriend and father of one of her children was instantly a suspect david was eventually tried convicted and sentenced to life without parole for the murder of yvonne but the entire investigation may have been botched or even worse, covered up. Now, after 22 years, journalist Maggie Freeling investigates Yvonne's murder alongside Jason Baldwin. You'll remember him. He was one of the those wrongfully convicted as a member of the West Memphis Three, and his organization proclaimed justice. Is David really in- innocent? And if so, who did kill Yvonne Lane? Now, the first many episodes were, were con- you know, it was all about who, who might have killed Yvonne Lane, you know, and, and is David uh, wrongfully imprisoned. Um, and it is taking turns. It has taken a turn um, just these last couple weeks. So uh, check that out. Um, now, I, I should also mention Maggie Freeling was the journalist involved with the uh, Maura Murray documentary that I was a part of on Oxygen. Um, she's great. Uh, you'll love her, so um, support her stuff. It's actually big news here in Ohio. Um, and if you're not from this area, if you're not familiar with this part of Ohio, Alliance is like, it's like the armpit of Ohio. Like, it's like, it's this like mid-sized little, not quite a town, not quite a city, very working class, blue collar, or was, and now it's somewhere under that. Um you know, there's a railroad track that runs through the middle of town. You can get a $5 steak at the local bar. Um, it's just far away from any large municipality that the, the police there kind of run it like a little fiefdom and have gotten away with a lot. And you'll hear that in the series, too. Um, anyways, check out Murder and Alliance. And uh, that's it for the inaugural episode of This Week in True Crime. Um, come back, please, every Friday morning. I'll be serving up the uh, top stories in true crime. Um, And remember, it is Friday. Our work is done. And in the words of the incomparable Murray Saul, we gotta, 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 get down, damn it. True Crime This Week is a Fearful Symmetry production. Our theme music is Trash Town Boogie by Mr. Smith, used under a Creative Commons license for use in this show. All sources are listed in the liner notes at the end of this episode. If you like the cut of my jib, please check out my other podcast, Philosophy of Crime. Unless quoted directly from a source, all content should be considered the opinion of the host. That's me, James Renner. See you next week. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ 
the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.